You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled Glory Days, Part 6 of 6. Enjoy. God, we love you this morning. We worship you and bless your name. Father, we take our, our attention off, off other things, and we're here this morning. We've left our homes, and we've come to gather together publicly to worship you, to thank you for who you are, to bless your name. And Father, we fix our minds on you right now. Holy Spirit, we fix our hearts on you. We're not here to see people play music or to hear people preach. We're here to receive from you, Holy Spirit. We're trusting in your presence in us for your presence in our midst to do what needs to be done, to, to meet our needs, to show yourself to us, to change us and mold us and shape us now by your power through your spirit and your word. And we thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Well, we are ready. Uh, just, just receive from the Lord. Just stay in that gear. Your mind stayed on Him. Your heart stayed on Him. And just, just listen to the Holy Spirit this morning. We're not here to, to, to um, for any other reason. We're just here for Him, okay? Now, we are, we are going to conclude a six-part series that we've been doing called Glory Days. So this is part six. We're going to conclude it today. So get ready to receive from God. I believe he has a great word for you this morning. We've been talking about the glory of God. And that's a term that, that religion has kind of covered over and made it something kind of out of reach and untouchable. But when we look at Jesus, when we look at the scriptures, we find that the glory of God is not far away. It's not untouchable. It's in you if you'll put your faith in Jesus. Jesus said in John 17, verses 20 through 22, the same glory that God the Father gave him, he has given to those who believe in his name. Amen. Wow. Amen. And we found that through faith in Christ, not in anybody else, faith in Jesus Christ, that God has brought us into this new life. It's a life of ever-increasing glory. Now, in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, it says, Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities... His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen, being made obvious through what has been made. So the glory of God can be seen in the oceans, in the, in the galaxies, all throughout creation, but we're not talking about that glory around us. We're talking about the glory in you. We're talking about the supernatural life of God that changed water into wine. The same glory that was in Jesus. That's what he said. The same glory in me I've given to them. Okay, John 17, 20 through 22. The same glory that made blind eyes see is in you if Jesus is your Lord. The same glory that made deaf ears hear is in you. The same glory that multiplied the loaves and the fish is in you. The same glory. We talked about last week the focus of the gospel. The focus of the gospel was not our sins being forgiven. Thank God for that. Okay? But Jesus came not just to forgive our sins, but so that God could live in you. <laughs> Isn't that great? That's the focus of the gospel. God wants to live in you. 
Wow. He wants to live. In fact, you know, that's why God made mankind male and female. Marriage is to be a reflection of his desired relationship with us. Sure. See, I, I, in uh, probably it was like 1990, somewhere in there, when I began to realize that, that Jennifer was the, the one for me. And I be, a love for me, for her, in me, began to grow in me. A love for her began to grow in me. And when a love begins to grow, real love, not, not a, a Hollywood version, but the real, the real thing, the God kind of love between a man and a woman, there becomes a desire to spend the rest of your life with that person. So we entered the covenant of marriage in December of 1994 because we wanted to live our lives together. And that is God's desire for you. He wants to live with you. He wants to live in you. And that's what marriage is meant to be. It's meant to be a reflection of the focus of the gospel. God wants to live in you. Hmm. That's so good. Now, God is holy, right? And wherever he lives must be holy. So we've got kind of a problem here. So God's holy, and wherever he lives must be holy. But man where he wanted to live, became unholy. Right? Man separated himself from God and became unholy. So God has like two options. Either he can become unholy. Not going to happen. Right? Or we have to become holy. See? So guess which one's going to happen? <laughs> Right? Now, when I say we, we become holy, you've got to know that this is not a, uh, an American thing. It's not a European thing. It's not an Asian thing. It's not an African thing. There's something in the heart of every human being. Uh, it's a deep down, way, belief, way below all the, the controversies. There's an inherent desire in the core of every human being to know God. Yeah to enter into a real relationship with God. And it's that desire that has brought about all of the thousands of religions that we see in the earth. Man wants to know God, and what religion is is man's system. Man sets up a system to try and have this relationship with God. It's their system of trying to become holy or trying to get closer to God, but the problem is we can't become holy in ourselves. There's no amount of prayer that you can do. There's no amount of going to church. There's no amount of sacraments. There's no amount of giving, no amount of good deeds that you can do that can make you holy. None. You can do a good deed every second of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year, for the rest of your life, and you'd be no more holy than you were before you did it. Because the holiness that, that we need is God's very own holiness, God's very own righteousness. And let's take a look at this. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. Colossians in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, chapter 1. So we've got a problem. God wants to live in us, but we've got to be holy, and we can't make ourselves holy. Right. 
So God had to make us holy through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. And that's what it's talking about in Colossians. Let's read this. Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. Let me just move my stand up a little bit here. There we go. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, talking about Jesus, right? By him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Verse 21. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. Look at this. To present you what? Holy. Oh, you? Holy? You kidding me? That's what it says. He did this to present little old you holy, right? Holy and unblameable. You got to be kidding me. And unreprovable in his sight. Through faith in Christ, we become as holy as God is holy. I'd probably get shot in some churches for saying that. Let's look at another verse, 2 Corinthians 5.21, just in case you don't believe me. 2 Corinthians 5.21. This is just the Bible. It's just a simple gospel now. We're not here for my ideas, that's for sure, right? We want to learn the Word. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, says, God made him, who's that? Jesus, right? Who had no sin, zero sin. He's never made a mistake. God's always been holy, right? It's a perfect holiness. No sin to be sin for us, because we were unholy. Why? I'll tell you why. So that in him, we might become the what? Wow. The righteousness of God, you and me. Do you believe that? Do you think of yourself in that way? Satan doesn't want you to. He wants you to feel condemned. He wants you to think that you're a mistake that you're a failure, that you'll never measure up to God, what God wants for your life. And as a result, if you believe that, that's what you'll experience. But God wants you to know that through faith in Christ, your very nature has been changed. You have a new heart, a new spirit, and your nature has been changed. It's now His nature. You have become the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, why is that important when we're talking about glory? Because righteousness and glory are connected. You can't experience the glory of God consistently. You may have isolated instances, but consistently on a daily basis until you become righteous. Because the glory of God just wants to flow in you. So let's stay in 2 Corinthians and just go back a couple chapters to chapter 3. We're going to see that righteousness and glory are connected. The more righteousness you have, the more glory you'll experience. All right? So 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. For if the ministry of condemnation... Now, what's Paul talking about? What's the ministry of condemnation? Old Testament, right? Old covenant. The law, okay? Pretty serious stuff. It's the ministry of condemnation. 
And that's not us anymore, right? We're out from underneath that. But it did have glory. Isn't that what it said? The ministry of condemnation has glory. There were some amazing things that happened in the Old Testament. All right? So it had glory. Supernatural stuff, right? But look at this. Much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. So think of all the things we, we saw in the Old Testament, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego going into the, the fiery furnace and coming out not even smelling like smoke, the Red Sea being parted, you name it. Well, that's, that was glorious, but it pales in comparison to the glory that's in us. Much more. What's the ministry of righteousness? What's he talking about? The new covenant, right? You see that? If you, we're not going to read all the verses, but you read chapter 3. He's comparing old covenant and new covenant. Old covenant and new covenant. Okay? So we were brought into this new covenant. Now, in the old covenant, God's glory could not dwell inside of people. It dwelled inside of what was called the holy of holies. Eden, can you bring a picture up of that in there? We're going to explain this in a second, but I want you to, 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 to listen. The whole purpose of this old covenant, this is a picture of the camp of Israel, what, how they were prescribed to camp and, tra camp and travel in the old covenant, okay? Now, this whole thing was set up for one reason only, to, to show us our desperate need for Christ, that is the only purpose of the Old Covenant. That's it. Okay? It was not God's goal. It was His means to a goal, to lead us to Christ. Okay? Very important to understand that. And someone might say, well, you know, well, why didn't God just send Jesus and skip the Old Covenant? Wouldn't that have been nice? Wouldn't that have to go through all that? Because this, the, what God wants is relationship. This is not a switch you can flip. We're not robots. God, see, the, the, the glory, the life that God has for us comes through faith. And you can't enter into a relationship with God if your heart is so hard. And man's heart became so hard in the Old Testament. It says in Genesis chapter 6 that every imagination of the thought of man was only evil. Wow. Man became so arrogant and so hard-hearted, ab he absolutely rejected man and said, I'm going to live life my way. He would not receive a relationship with God. God had to institute the old covenant because of the hardness of man's heart. And it was through this covenant that he wanted to show us how desperately we needed him. We can't live our lives without God. We're fooling ourselves. We desperately, you know, it says in Romans chapter 3, 23, that all of us have sinned. We've all fallen short of the life that God has for us, the glory, right? But God gave us Christ to change that. So here we have a, a, a picture, an artist's rendering of the camp of Israel. Now you see right in the center that rectangle there, right? Well, you've got, you've got a, a, a wall, what do you call it, like a fabric, Curtains, thank you. Uh, and that they surround, if you go inside the east gate there, you've got what's called the outer court, okay? What they had to do, it was Levitical law, they had to bring in their sacrifices through the east gate, and they had to sacrifice unto God. 
Bulls, goats, lambs, doves, all kinds of things, right, for their sins. And the priests, they worked in there. Okay, now inside, if you keep going through past the outer court, you see that center tent there? There are two rooms inside of that. The outer room is called the holy place. Okay, and the priests then had to take the blood of the sacrifice and they had to go into the holy place. But beyond the holy place, all the way back inside that tent was called the most holy place or the holies or the holy of holies. Go ahead, Eden, show us inside the tent. Ta-da! This is an artist's rendering, but it gives you an idea. So now see that purple court curtain that's moved back, that veil? That would be closed when the priests would come in, okay? And in this holy place out front here, you've got the candlestick, you've got the uh, showbread, and you've got the altar of incense there. But the only one person could go beyond that veil, and they can only go one time per year, and it was the high priest. So that, that veil would be closed, and what they had to do, he had to do everything right. If he didn't, he would, he would die immediately. So they tied a rope around him so that when he went through that veil, if he made a mistake and died, they could drag him out because they couldn't go in and get him because they would die too. This is the old covenant. Aren't you glad you were born when you were born, right? Yeah, ministry of death, ministry of condemnation. So they could, that's what happened to him, okay? So one time, once a year, by one person, the high priest, he could go in there. Now, what's in there? This is, this is really powerful. Inside, you see that? That's the Ark of the Covenant. That's what was in the Holy of Holies. And inside of the Ark of the Covenant was the law, the, to- the stone tablets that God wrote on with his finger were inside of the Ark. But on top of the ark, there was a lid, and on top of that lid was what's called the mercy seat. And what the high priest's responsibility was to take the blood of those sacrifices and sprinkle it on the mercy seat. And above the mercy seat was the glory of God, the very presence of God. That's where God dwelt in the Old Covenant. And I want you to notice the order. On the bottom was the law. Above the law was mercy. And above mercy was the presence of God. Let's look at Hosea chapter 6. Let's go back to the Old Covenant. So you got the law on the bottom. you got mercy above that. And then you have the presence of God. Very important order. Hosea chapter 6. What do we have on the bottom? The law. What's above the law? Mercy. mercy is above the law. What's above mercy? The presence of God, the glory of God. Why is that important? Because religion flips it. Religion puts the law on the top. Okay? Religion puts the law on the top and say, if you can obey this law, maybe you can have a relationship with God. And maybe He'll have mercy on you. And maybe you'll experience His glory. That's what religion does. That's not God's order. The law's on the bottom. Mercy's above the law. His presence is above mercy. Look what Hosea 6 says. Verse 6. This is God talking. For I desire, what? Mercy and not sacrifice. God didn't want that tabernacle. He had to do it because of the hardness of their heart. I desire mercy, not religion, not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God. 
more than burnt offerings. What's he saying? I want relationship. I don't want religious rituals. I don't want sacraments. I want you to know me. That's what he's about. Now let's go back to the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 10. It talks about this very thing. Hebrews chapter 10. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First, Second, Second, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Saul, Prophets, Ezekiel, Psalms, Isaiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Odin, Job, Manic, Name, Habakkuk, Seven, Nine, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, First, Second, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First, Second, Thessalonians, First, Second, Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. Okay, we're there. So go to Hebrews chapter ten. It's describing this very thing, but we're in the New Covenant now, right? We're in the New Covenant, and it's talking about the, the purpose of the Old Covenant, okay? Verse 19, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest. That's another name for the holy of holies. That's that inner room. By the blood of Jesus, by a new, say that word, new. new. Yeah. A new and living, say that word, living. A new and living way which he, who's that? Jesus, has consecrated for us through the veil. That is to say, his flesh. And if you'll read the account of his crucifixion in Matthew, it says when he was crucified, the veil that we just looked at in the temple was ripped into from top to bottom. What was God saying? It's over. The covenant, the old covenant has been completed. You now have full access to my presence through the sacrifice of my son. It's a new and living way. Verse 21, and having a high priest over the house of God. Who's our high priest? Jesus, absolutely. These were all uh, physical representations of what was in heaven, okay? So Jesus is our high priest. Verse 22, since Jesus did this, since he's our high priest, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast, don't let go of it, the profession, that's what we say, right? The profession of our faith without wavering for he who is promised, he is faithful that promised. So we say with God, according to his word, that through Christ Jesus, we have become the righteousness of God. Have you ever said that about yourself? If Jesus is your Lord, start saying it. It will change your relationship with God. You will develop a confidence. You will be able to come before him with boldness, knowing not based on your own efforts, but based on what Jesus did. And it's a wonderful thing that no matter what you've done or where you're from, that through faith in Christ, you can boldly enter the presence of God and receive what you need anytime, day or night. Verse 24. Look at this. So as a result of what Jesus has done, right, let's consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. And look at verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is. We know that happens, right? But that's not us here at Highway Church. Why do we come together, right, to worship him, to exhort one another so much more so much the more as you see the day approaching. So at Highway Church, man, we are so caught up in what Jesus did for us. 
We're so excited that we can come before God day and night without shame, that his very spirit has made our spirits brand new, that the Holy Spirit himself is living in us, that we're walking forward on his path for our lives and experiencing him and his glory daily. So we look forward. Sunday's important to us, not because of religious tradition. It's a time that we've set aside where we can come together publicly. We all leave our homes and we come together publicly to worship him, to pray with one another, to encourage each other, to receive the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We want, we, we're, that's an important part of our week. And man, we get together in homes during the week and our get together. That's an important part of our week because of what Jesus did, right? We encourage one another. We study the word. We pray for one another. God is so good. Now here's the conclusion. Are you ready? Six week conclusion coming up right here. This is so powerful. God is raising up pastors right now, I'm one of them, <laughs> to open people's eyes to their righteousness in Christ. God is raising up pastors in this day we're living in to open people's eyes to their righteousness in Christ. And, and thank God for, for the churches that teach faith in Christ, and I'm not putting anyone down. But unfortunately, the reality is what many have heard in the churches they've gone to, they've gotten, they've gotten to-do lists of things that they're told they have to do in order to have a relationship with God or for God to be more pleased with them. They've got to do this. They've got to do this. They've got to do that. They've got, and you've got to do this, and you've got to do that. And, and all that, what that is is error and ignorance, Okay? What Jesus requires of us is to simply believe. Religion just doesn't like to hear that. It can't be that simple, but it is. What must we do to do the works of God? When Jesus was asked that, he said, believe on the one whom he sent. Our last scripture, Jeremiah 23. It's right after Isaiah. Let's go there. Jeremiah 23. And the time has come for pastors and churches to be raised up that when people come, they can learn who they are in Christ. And that's what you'll learn here at Highway Church. That's why we're here. That's relationship. Jeremiah 23. Now, this is prophetic, right? This is Old Covenant. This hadn't happened yet. Jeremiah was talking about the New Covenant. He's talking about Jesus would do. Now, we're looking on the other side of that. Jesus has already come, right? So verse 3 of Jeremiah 23, he says, I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries where I've driven them and bring them back to their folds. I want you to see the heart of God and they shall be fruitful and increase. Just like the scriptures we looked at earlier before the offering, right? You see the heart of God. Look for the heart of God in the scriptures. That's how you understand them. That's his heart. He wants us to be fruitful and increase. Look at verse 4. I will set up shepherds over them. That's what a pastor is. I will set up shepherds over them who will not shame them, make them feel guilty, who will feed them. What's the result of being fed with the Word of God? They shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, nor shall they be lacking, says the Lord. Verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, 
this is prophetic, it's already happened, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. Who's that? Jesus. Yeah, that's Jesus, right? A king, king of kings, right? Shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, verse 6, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called. Look at this name. The Lord what? Why does it say the Lord God's righteousness? To become righteous is huge. I, this, this is it. God came that you would be made righteous so that he could fellowship with you without hindrance. He's the Lord our righteousness. He's the Lord our righteousness. Even go back to verse 5. I want you to see this. Now, look at the end of this verse. This is great. Now, if you really read this religiously, it kind of, it says, a king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. So maybe you see Jesus flying through the clouds, shooting lightning bolts at all the bad people, right? <laughs> that's not it. That's not it. I want to I help you. The, the Hebrew word that's used there for execute, okay? It's the same word that's used throughout, throughout the Old Testament, and it's used in Genesis. It means to make or to bring forth something out of nothing. You'll see this in Genesis, like when it said God made the two lights, one to govern the day, one to govern the night. It's that same word, execute. So it's not this that religion teaches. It's, it's, in other words, Jesus will bring forth something out of nothing. And this word judgment, again, we're going to dereligify it for you, okay? This word judgment, three things. It means hearing a case and rendering a proper verdict, okay? Hearing a case and rendering a proper verdict. It means the rights belonging to someone. And it has to do with the statement of the case for the accused. What does that have to do? Stay with me. So here comes Jesus, the branch of righteousness, the Lord our righteousness. There was a case against us. Satan had a case against you. We were all sinners. We all fell short. God was justified in judging us. But Jesus came, and he was our, our uh, defense attorney, right? And he presented a case before God the Father. And he brought forth a, a, a verdict, is what we're saying here. He's going to bring forth, forth a verdict, and he's going to bring forth righteousness inside of man, in the earth. And that verdict is that you're not a sinner anymore. That through faith in Christ, you've become a new creation in Christ Jesus. And I've heard it said, and I understand many believers say, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. That's really not true. I was a sinner. But now I'm saved by grace, and now I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Don't see yourself as a sinner anymore if Jesus is your Lord. You've got to see yourself as he sees you, as the righteousness of God. So Jesus came in the earth, and he brought forth this judgment, and he declared you righteous through faith in him. Don't ever accept anything less than the judgment that Jesus has rendered, that you are righteous, that you are healed, that you are God's very own son and daughter, that you are delivered, that you are redeemed, that you are ransomed, that you are precious in his sight, that you are loved that you are the apple of his eye. Yes. Yes. 
It's the verdict that the king has declared, and it's in full effect through the faith in Jesus Christ. So what's a pastor's role? To feed the sheep, not to make them feel bad, not to tell them they're not worshiping right, not to tell them they're not doing these things right, you're not doing this right, you need to do this better because God's not pleased with you. That's not the pastor's role. The pastor's role is to feed them this reality. To feed them the reality that Christ has become their righteousness. And when people are fed this food, it will lead them into a place where they fear no more. Where they are not dismayed anymore. Where they lack no more. And that's why we're here. To lead people into real relationship with Jesus Christ. The more you feed on what the branch of righteousness has done on your behalf, the more you'll experience the glory of God in your life. The reality is, if Jesus is your Lord, Jesus Christ himself lives in you. So I encourage you to, to value the time that we have. It's a special thing that God has done by starting this new work in New England, a place where people can come and hear the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for the power of your word. It removes the religious uh, veil from our minds and gets to the heart and shows us the reality of what you've done for us through Christ. And Father, we receive your word this morning. We thank you for sending the branch of righteousness, for raising up the king, your son Jesus. And we rejoice that he has brought forth a verdict in the earth that we are no longer condemned. We are no longer sinners, but we are your sons and your daughters. That we are holy, unblameable, irreprovable in your sight. We receive what your son Jesus did for us, and we worship you in Jesus' name. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. God himself now lives in you. Put your confidence in the finished work of Christ and let his glory be revealed in you. In Jesus' name, amen.